This is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And this is game day. Another one. And then another one Friday. It's great. And then another one Sunday, but we're not working, so it won't matter. No. Leafs aren't working much either. They're taking days off. Practices off. Well, they're like, uh, it's almost like baseball where you almost play every day. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, so you just kind of gear up on game days. And the other day, you just take a knee, rest. Get exactly. Ready. We don't rest. We don't ever rest. Never. And we're not resting for the next two hours because we got a terrific show for you. Steve Valakat will be joining us in about 20 minutes. Analyst for the New York Rangers. He'll break down a much more interesting game tonight. Hold on. Then what? You call my Islanders uninteresting? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Okay. I did. That seems fair. Which they had a good period. They have good 15 minutes. Good 15 minutes. <laughs> doesn't carry you very long. But I long think the Rangers league. will be a, a little better yeah. uh, tonight uh, as a challenge. And Rangers have been an ongoing challenge uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs for, for various reasons. And one biggest one, Shesterkin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that guy has been a world beater last year and... Pretty good decor in front of him, too. So that's the uh, the task. Get to that, man. Kristen Shilton, NHL reporter for ESPN, will also be around uh, probably about 40 minutes in. And then Mark Recchi in the second hour, three-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, he's going to come on, and uh, he wrote a terrific article on what maybe the challenges for Rick Tockett will be in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Debut last night against uh, Chicago. Got that new coach bump. Now, did they boo him a little bit? Yes, is the answer to that. How do you boo a new coach? He didn't fire anyone. That's to me, that's one of you see, see someone booing. You go, what are you doing? Who are you I know. booing? I know. Boo this man! No, don't boo. <laughs> that's actual game audio. They're just generally unpleased. And Vancouver seems like kind of a, yes. a, men, a mentality. There. And it's going to take a while here, I think, to turn it around. That was the voice of Sammy McKee, Derek Brandale, Jen Rolnick, all uh, along for the ride. My buddy, Derek Brandale, mm-hmm. always, I think maybe, I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but on game days, he seems to have more food on his desk. <laughs> he's got the game and day today snacks. Today, I'm, I'm looking at this bag, and he's got, like, cookies, and, like, this one has, like, Double whiskey in it. I know. He told me, he's like, uh, sorry, I brought whiskey cookies. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah, but you're an alcoholic, so you, <laughs> yeah, I cannot, you can't have one. I don't think I should be having should a whiskey cookie. Should I get this cookie out of the studio? You know, it doesn't bother me any. And the alcohol's burned off. If, Is it? Know, how many whiskey cookies would you have to eat to get a buzz? I don't do know. I'm about to find out, boys. <laughs> but I don't want to ruin your life because I... Of a cookie. Can you imagine? Oh, it's the whiskey cookies. My wife's just in shambles. Yes. You'll be okay. You've I'm, worked uh, so hard. It's not like peanut butter. And you I got can, a terrific. I can have it near me and be okay. You got a terrific book coming out in like two weeks, three and a half, two weeks. This would be a very bad time for me. Oh, my God. Relapse. So Falling off the wagon <laughs> because Derek Brendale brought <laughs> Aunt Beth's so cookies. He's in, he's in shambles right now the, the, at the yes. implication. All good. You may buddy. have to it's get very the bag kind. Out. What, what, what is it? Like, let's plug them. I don't care. Aunt Beth's cookies. 
What is it? Uh, yeah, a place I've never gotten cookies from before. All right. And, and, and like, does Aunt Beth have the smallest hands ever? Because I couldn't, I had to get, I had to get Derek to get me a cookie out of that. I couldn't get my hand in the bag. Come on. Get Aunt your Beth. hand into the cookie jar, buddy. Um, it's on purpose. All, all right. It's a, it is a snowstorm today in Toronto. Ooh. It is, it's a, it's a, you know, it feels like it's once a year these days that you get a big one, but it's a, it's a big one today. It's a, it's a white It out. is. It's a white out. Me and too. I'm, I'm scheduled to go to the game tonight. Oh, you're pull- I'm, I'm you're covering the shoot. game. I'm here till 1 a.m. tonight. You are? Yeah. In my little V-dub Jetta. So past the Leafs and Rangers, you also have uh, Vancouver tonight? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's Do they know that I just wrote could- an article, too. It's on Sportsnet. This could affect uh, your energy tomorrow on our show. Oh, good chance. Do I have to talk to anybody <laughs> about that? We have six guests tomorrow. Um, multi-platform beast, Barney. Just right. Wednesdays are busy. Radio, days. TV. Yes. What can he do? He's hot right now. Um, Matthew's mic'd up tonight for TNT. Really? Yep. Him and uh, Barkley Goudreau are the two guys that are mic'd up tonight for the opposing teams. And is he coming on our show and, tomorrow, or ooh, oh, Matthews? Oh yeah, yeah. Let me let me just dig into that for you. And, uh, <laughs> and who do you guys have mic'd up tonight? <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they kiss the ass for uh, T, uh, TNT, and they just like look at you guys like you got three heads? Listen, I saw Edzo in here beside me yesterday. I, I tell you which guy I'd be kissing up to between the two of us. <laughs> yeah, make sure. Hey. If you haven't listened to that, if you're listening to this show and you haven't listened to that, it's a pretty evergreen conversation. You can go back and listen to it anytime. Ed Zone's studio yesterday was spectacular. So Good go to our, go to Spotify, iTunes, go back and check out that because that was awesome. Yeah. All right. Speaking of cookies, the Leafs are going to have uh, nice. to need a few tonight uh, because it does appear that Chesterkin's feeling a lot better these days. This is a team that Shesterkin's kind of owned them for the last uh, little while. Yeah. It just seems every time the Leafs are up against this guy, he comes up with a, a gem. Well, you and I went to the game last year where he was unbelievable uh, against the Leafs. In the last 10 times the Leafs have played the Rangers, they've only won three. I think they're one, three, and one in the last five against the Rangers. So they've had their handful, hands full with this group. They defend well. They've got some elite talent, good goaltending. I mean, the Rangers have underachieved so far this year. I still think they're a, a team that can threaten for the Stanley Cup this year. And it appears that uh, the lines are locked in again. Matthews, Marner, Tavares. Way back. Nylander, who's looking to become the sixth player from the 2014 NHL draft to reach 400 points. Wow. Kind of impressive. Let's go to Sheldon Keefe on sticking with his lines. Keeping it the way that I had for the last couple of months, it's a lot longer than I had expected it to. To me, Matthews and Marner work really well together, and, and I always thought going back to that. But it was going well for us as a team. It was going for, well for all of them as individuals, so there was no, no real need to, to switch it. Um, I think here of late, things have not gone as well you know, for, for both groups. Um, the individual players have maybe had some some moments of, of greatness, but to me, the, the groups haven't really gone as well. And then when you just make a switch and both groups really hit, I think it's just natural to just to just stay with it. But the fact that for such a long period of time it worked the other way gives me confidence to flip it back if I need to, and and uh, you know work work within that. All right, okay, why is he, he's we going on it. forever and ever and ever? <laughs> Listen, I can. I can sum up what he just said in like five seconds. Okay, let's have it. 
I'm playing 18 holes and I only got like two sticks in my bag. <laughs> you can use them both. <laughs> yeah. I got one called yeah. Marner and Matthews. Yeah. And I got another one called Tavares and Nylander and I can, I can switch them. Yeah. And that's all I got. And that's it. You're right. And so I think it was inevitable we would get back to this. I think he probably makes the change to get Matthews and Marner back together. Then Willie and uh, JT put up four points in a period. And he's like, yeah, yeah, them too. I meant to do that part. I don't know. There's just not that many options in terms of how to move those guys around. So there you go. They're back at it. Matthews and Marner, the dynamic duo. Yeah. Batman and Batman. Just to go back to uh, Shesterkin against the Leafs. Yeah. He's played five games against the Leafs. He's won four of them. He's got a 9.38 save percentage and a 1.99 goals against. So you were correct. Ownership. He owns the Leafs. Papers. Yeah. Okay. I got some work to do here. And that's where I, I'll look at Tavares and Nylander tonight, and this is this is the game that I want to I want to see what we saw yeah. against the Islanders. For sure. You know, what's interesting is the Leafs, one of the ways that they have, they don't give up a ton of goals is they have the puck a lot, right? They're, like, they're a good possession team. The Rangers are the number one puck possession team in the NHL in terms of time of offensive puck time. It, just oh. imagine I said that good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I think it's the cookie talking. Yeah. Let, me, too close to let, me, write, let me write that down. Back. Offensive puck, puck time. time. <laughs> okay, I wrote that down. You know what I mean? They have the puck all the time. So if the Leafs don't get to be the team with the puck, controlling the play, it's a lot more pressure on their D, yada, yada. I think that's going to be a story of the game. Can they end the Rangers cycle and get it going and play in the Rangers' end? And you mentioned Tavares... And Nylander there, Kipper. You got some numbers for us? Uh, no. I was oh. just going to say that I think you said how fast that Tavares looked against a sluggish decor for the Islanders. Yeah. A little bit of a different kettle of fish tonight with the Rangers. Well, chasing more, around Adam Fox and Andre Miller. A little bit more fleet of foot, rangy, yes. faster guys on the decor. So I think it's going to be a good challenge. Yeah, and I do believe that, that the, the gap that we saw against the Islanders will be a lot tighter with the likes of uh, Truba and mm-hmm. Keandra Miller. Like, that gap, that... Uh, distance in, between the forwards that, and D that, and the that, Islanders. That we talked about the yeah. other day where, you know, you're watching 110-foot passes up yeah. and turning them into goals, that, that, that won't be there tonight. At least I don't anticipate it. Mm-hmm. The gap... Control would be much uh, tighter against uh, the Rangers tonight. It's interesting because you think about when they put Nylander at center and then the next day Keith basically he moved him back and he said, you know, one of Willie's strengths is that he's the first guy out of the zone, right? And he stretches out the D and pulls yeah. him back. I wonder if his style of offense only works against certain teams. Not only works, he's good pretty consistently, but, you know, going into playoffs... It's going to matter who the matchup is. I think you'll see matchups where Willie is awesome because it works against this team and somewhere it doesn't because it doesn't yeah. work against that team. And Tampa's pretty well, good. Again, Nylander's taking his game to another level, so th- th- it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be that obvious to you mm-hmm. that his game's gone to another level. You should make the adjustments where you can still find ways uh, to excel, if not dominate, with your, your talent. Yeah. That's... That's the difference between Nylander this year and what we've seen in the past is that you've gone you've, you've gone to another level here. You should not be able to look back and say, well, it's just, just not a great fit for me against those guys. 
Yeah, that's a great point. The elite players, it doesn't really matter who you're up against. You find a different way. And I say Willie's made some strides. Um, you know, I wrote an article on him last week. He was last year, he was 106th in the league in inner slot shots, like shots from right in front of the net. This year, he's 25th. So he's getting to that yeah. part of the rink more against, you know, teams that try to keep him out of there. Bigger, stronger, more yeah. confidence to cut in. Yeah. And we saw that uh, on his. Uh brilliant goal off of Tavares's pass yeah. against the Islanders. The OT winner against Florida. So I assume they were out there for morning skate, working hard, preparing for tonight's game. Whole team out there doing a big practice today. Was that right, Sam? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then one of the reporters asked, he's like, oh, pretty lightly attended morning skate this morning. And then I, you know what, I, I just thought it was a little bit different pace, different kind of answer that Keith gave. You guys want to hear it? Sounds good. Yes, it's been, you know, we had a shorter practice yesterday. We used to do, want to keep the intensity high and such. But, yeah, you, you, it's usually a pretty good indicator of where the guys are at in terms of energy levels and such. And we are in a, an every day, every other day type of rhythm here. And uh, we're trying to be mindful of that. The break is approaching. So that's a good thing that the guys can can see on the horizon here. Yet you, you still want to make sure you're not just saying, hey, let's let's empty the tank all the way through here and then the break we can recover for we still have to be smart in terms of how we're managing this so we'll take tomorrow off as a group to you know to get ready for the rest of the week from there but um you know i'm glad that the players in the morning skates like this you you really want to put it on them in terms of what they need to have themselves ready to play tonight we use the term up you know a lot that morning skate is optional and the game is mandatory and that's a big break yeah. coming up. So just to touch on after tonight, it's the Ottawa Senators Friday. Correct. It's the Washington Capitals on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then one final game in the first week in February. Against the Bruins against on Wednesday night. The Bruins. Yeah, let's not uh, uh, make sure that they're not ahead of themselves and already in the Bahamas uh, That's that too night. bad. You know, I hate that there's like a distraction on the other end of that game. You'd love for that to be. I, I mean, I guess you can go all in on it knowing you get some rest after that. I think if you can't get locked in for that game on home ice, regardless of what tropical vacation awaits you, I think it'd be a big problem. You get more pictures of Mitch Marner and Justin Hall on a PJ somewhere probably three hours after the game. Yeah, going going golfing or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's there. You'll know it's there. How much of a professional are you now to just lock it in for a so good, hopefully uh, 60 minutes. A regulation win would be uh, awfully nice, but that is a very long break for them. It is. What, hey, what were your thoughts on Keith talking about guys resting? And I know it's a major difference from your era when you played and even when I played. The focus on rest for these guys, and I know having worked with Sheldon, he's always trying to design his practice. Oh, that's 29 minutes. He's like, we can't add anything else. You know, we don't want to go over that. And oh, the meeting is seven minutes, and we got to keep it under five or we'll lose the guys. You know, shorter, shorter, less practice time. What are your thoughts on that evolution? I think it's a smart. Yeah, I do. I think it's smart for sure. Yeah. And it's a yeah, long year. If every day you're going out there and bagging Rest, it. nutrition, all of that. And I do buy into a science around it for sure. But I, really, really comes down to still how your, your comfort zone on, uh, on liking your team, 
knowing that they're in a good place. Like all bets are off when you lose, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, no, you're right. And it's 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 an easier process to think that there's a beginning, middle, and end to the the method of yeah. the madness. But when you're losing, all bets are off. So including including a, listening to a sleep doctor. And, like, you're already losing games, and then your coach is like, well, you're not getting the day off. we got work to do. And so it's now it's more time stuck wallowing in the mud and figuring it out. It, it really is a terrible cycle. But it is funny now. You think about it. Hockey players are not all Harvard-educated guys. You know, a lot of these guys went straight to from high school to junior hockey to get their attention to focus Listen, and learn. We're like cattle. <laughs> I know. Okay. Sheep, we just we just follow the herd. Tell yeah, tell me what we're doing. So there are days where you're like, today's a learning day. Like, are you gonna tell them the day before, guys? Tomorrow is going to be an hour on the ice. <laughs> you gotta bring your thinking hats, you know, caps, whatever. And we're uh, gonna we're gonna walk through a rotation in the D zone. When we used to like, when there were no charters, eh? We'd all like race through airports, and there'd be like, you know, and you could you can tell no matter how busy it is when there's like. 15 guys at like 6'2", like, yeah. right, and you're all tight together. People are looking around, staring at you. Yeah. And then every once in a while, I just go. <laughs> they just shuffle you around. And, you and know, it you would work. Your itinerary, where are we going? Was, that, was, that, was that your cow? It was my cow. Oh, okay. Well, and then there would just be a part. Let's <laughs> 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 hear your best cow. <laughs> Mm. That sucks. I don't got it. I don't got it. (laughs) I thought you were doing an alarm. (laughs) It's a cookie alarm. Uh, Samson off tonight, guys. What kind of statement can he make against uh, an all-star like Shesterkin? You know, playing him. Feels like he's got a lot to lose now every game, which is not necessarily what you want. Do you think? Like, now he's established himself as a starter in, like, the next trip up. He could it's lose gone. tonight by a goal and still make progress. Okay. So I they, lose, that. they lose 2-1 in OT and he plays great. Yeah. Still fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, this, I think that's fair. I just do. I like the idea of him getting in more big games, more big moments where the pressure is going to be on. You don't want him getting all the cake games. Then all of a sudden it's game one or game, yeah, one and you're in Tampa Bay. It's like, okay. So, yeah, I like the idea of if he's going to be the guy, give him some tough matchups. All right, let's listen to Sheldon Keefe talk about uh, his number one starter tonight. Yeah, I think it's just the process, uh, you know, that, that they go through in terms of, you know, the plan that you want to see the goalie play with. And obviously Curtis is a lot more dialed into that than I am. But as we go through it in terms of what the expectations are, and he's showing me clips of things sometimes maybe even when the puck doesn't even get to the net, but it's just if it got to the net that he's in perfect positioning and his depth is right, he's tracking the puck well, he's reading the play well, all those sorts of things that don't necessarily show up on saves all the time, but just that he's ready and he's focused. Um, And sometimes it's even more important uh, because it it fuels the the big saves and everything that your process is right. So, so you know if if the puck's not coming, maybe you're not getting a lot of shots, you're not getting a lot of chances, but your process is really focused and very sharp. That when the chance comes, you're just going to take care of it and, and make it make it look easy. Um, I think that's what we've seen from him as he's gotten into rhythm here, and that's of course encouraged us to keep him going. Did you get any sense when you worked with Sheldon with the Marlies? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
what his overall feel for goaltenders were was and really uh, eager to defer and just say really just didn't, say didn't suggest that i love this guy because he's uh quieter or uh, a lot more technical <laughs> or we had garrett sparks yes he was uh right yeah antoine bibo was quiet and yes you'd love to have the quiet guy you know have success and i don't know there there's certainly a personality element in any decision I would say that that is an element that certainly there is some, okay, we would like for this guy to have success, but generally didn't make the decision. So so uh, I'm going to give you another uh, animal sound in about a minute. <laughs> a but far, like, barnyard uh, day. Like, uh, yeah, hanging out and playing with Glenn Healy, right? Yeah. Uh, every time he'd critique a goaltender, it would always be like, uh, you know, like, like, you know, nice and quiet and tight. And he's like, no. And goes, like he was a seal. That's how he would describe a goaltender. What? playing Like a seal, you know, just flopping all over okay, the place. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a I'm good like, seal. Yeah, you like I'm that goalie? He goes, nope. seal. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, when typically when goalies struggle, either on their belly a lot. So I yes. get the seal analogy. Who do you think Sheldon thinks will be there for him? So I've heard him twice now. You know, I just said Sheldon likes to defer. I've heard him twice now reference Curtis Sanford and Ilya Samsonov. So Sanford seems to like Samsonov. Sanford is taking pride in the progress of Samsonov. They seem a little bit invested in the evolution of Samsonov's game. Which gives us a perfect time to segue in a professional goalie analyst. Oh, thank God we were dying. Do not try this at home, folks. Okay, let's welcome in Steve Valiquette, analyst for the New York Rangers on MSG. And we're just trying to pick and choose who we think maybe uh, a guy like Sheldon Keefe, head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, would see starting for him uh, in game win. I, I don't believe there's a problem in, in New York, people trying to guess who their goalie is going to be. Uh, but, uh, you know, when we look at... Uh, when we look at uh, Samsonov Valley, I look at a guy that I would believe that the Leafs would think is a heck of a, a heck of a lot more talented than Matt Murray, but yet they would look at Matt Murray and go, "Well, this guy's a lot mentally stronger uh, for maybe a playoff run here." So, is it pick your poison in January? Okay, so. No, Kipper, look, I can't prepare it, boys. I'm not coming on the Kipper and Bourne show shooting blanks. Okay? <laughs> what a guy. I'll, 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 I'll tell you what. Here's the first thing. Now, guys, you guys have been on the bench before. You guys know how it works. What does it feel like when you're in a battle, score tied, and your goalie gives up a goal? What does it feel like? Yeah. Heartbreak. Feels like crap. Yeah. Heartbreak. We, we've been battling this hard, and that goes in now. Yes. We've got twice yeah. going the other way. We, we got no chance. Uh, we got no chance with goaltending yeah. like that. And then what does it do to you? It, it kills your demeanor. And if it happens often enough, that's when it becomes a theme. And the only predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Right now, Matt Murray has the fourth worst, and I'm talking worst, safe percentage when the score is tied on the scoring chances that he faces. Ooh. All right. On the flip side of that, Samsonov is right at the top. He's right at the top. One of the league's best when the game to me, there's a different, I want to bring you inside the skates of a goalie. There is a different sense of game and responsibility at score tied than making a save when you're down two. 
or when you're up by two or three when you're relaxed and in the rhythm of the game. Mm -hmm. So I know you can go back to past experiences in playoffs and what Murray did in Pittsburgh, but there's already enough evidence right now because we're so far in that he's not making the saves that you need when you're tied. Pay attention to this. See how he does from this point forward. So far, he's been the fourth worst in the league at giving you a save at score tied. And that, that matters. There's a lot of pressure, and it's a different pressure on the mindset of a goalie at score tied. That's interesting. Valley, we saw um, Matt Murray the other day wearing glasses at practice. Um, you know, they're working on something that maybe you know more about than I don't, some sort of, uh, you know, using the middle of your eyes. So you got to turn your head all the way, kind of a blinders type situation. Uh, what does it make you think or feel when you hear about a, a starting goaltender, you know, at the driving range with gadgets trying to figure out his swing before he heads <laughs> out to for Sunday of the Masters? All right, Borny, you guys know I'm up to speed on your show, and I know you've had this conversation. We have, we have. We get to ask someone who knows about it. All right, so this is interesting. This started in 2012. So can you imagine having this conversation 10 years ago, right? This is is not new. It's not new. It's not. um, It's actually uh, Lyle Mast really popularized this, and he's from out east, and he's worked with a lot of really good goalies like Jari and Comrie, and these guys were – guys that I was actually tracking for that draft. And I was working for the Islanders at the time, Borny. And these were the guys that I had called on, and they were all working with the same guy out west. And it turned out to be Lyle Mass. He's a great goalie coach out there. And uh, Swivel Vision was very popular. These guys were already using it. And this is 10, 11 years ago. So um, fast forward a little bit, and I find myself in summer camp with Devin Dubnik. He was down and out at the time. He was in Hamilton in Montreal and was looking for a spot in Arizona. And uh, we started using these, these swivel vision and, and started getting the concept of head trajectory and tracking. And I even once saw, Kipper, you were doing a piece on Hockey Night in Canada during the intermission on this. Do you remember that? It was, it was like 10 years ago. With, with the dark glasses? Not with the glasses, but you were in the net and you were talking about tracking. Yes. Yes, that's right. Remember that? Yeah, Kelly and, Rudy. Uh, Kelly Rudy. Yes. Right. So this is where that conversation came from. It was that guy. It was, once again, Lyle Mass. That's where this stuff came from. And I'll never forget the way that Devin Dubnik explained it to me because he was, you know, getting through it in training and using it in practice. It really turned his career around. He said to me, he said, Valley, if I could explain it like this, it locks your eyes in your sockets. And if you understand, the only way that you can see, your, uh, see the puck mm-hmm. is if you move your head to do so. So it's interesting because you actually have to, if a rebound goes to the goalie's left, you want their head to come all the way around and get over the leading knee for you to have maximum explosive push. But to do that, you've got to get your head in the right position. You can't see uh, staring straight ahead and then using your eyes just to glance to the left. You need to turn your head to do it. So the way Dubnik said it to me, which made a lot of sense, is like I just imagine my eyeballs are stuck in my sockets and the only way that I can move my body is if I move my head so that's why swivel vision is important it's also very important for tracking the pass the release and the rebound it's something that uh, around the same time 2012 I was having one of my young goalies use he started wearing it on the bus going to his games and the coach is calling me he's like what's with Strauss he's wearing these things on the bus like what's going on <laughs> but, the kid, <laughs> but the kid goes out and plays well and uh, fast forward he was the goalie that was uh, starting goalie for the United States last year at the Olympics Strauss Jeez. man uh, yeah so like I've been doing this stuff uh, I'm, I'm up for it 
But that one in particular, I'm not about gadgets. I don't even like combs on the ice. But that's the one thing that if a guy can't lock on, pass, shot, and rebound, it really does help. It remedies, and it's, it's like a source of therapy. I'm okay with Murray's uh, dark sunglasses, but the moment I see a cane and a C&I dog, I mean, he's done. <laughs> he's done, okay? <laughs> done. Now, if yeah. let's just say, uh, let's just guess for one second that uh, there, are, there are issues that uh, – uh, Curtis Sanford has, has seen with Matt Murray. He wants to use uh, this week uh, to practice, uh, to work on f- head trajectory, whatever we want to, you know, terms. And and now we see Samsonov running with it. Uh, my question to you, Steve, is what is a sufficient time to allow uh, a goalie to work on something? Is it like, can he do it in three days, five days, a week uh, before you, yeah. you're comfortable for him to go back in? Because the Leafs have Ottawa on Friday, Washington on Sunday, uh, and then the Boston Bruins uh, Wednesday before they go into a massive break here. How, how long do you, can, can, can a goalie need to correct something? It's, uh, it's a lot like that movie Money Pit. Two weeks. Everything's two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the plumber will be back in two weeks. And uh, it's funny, that comes up a lot, right? You know when you come back from a long injury, how long does it take? It always takes a couple of yes. weeks. And, uh, you know, I remember having this conversation, this is a name drop here, but Peter Forsberg, I, I got to spend some time with him in Sweden after I retired with Marcus Daslin and had the same conversation, coming back with his different foot injuries. He's like, man, two weeks afterwards, I felt up to speed. I just had to get through two weeks. I feel it's the same way to break habits or to uh, gain new ones. So to me, it's that. And that's the hardest thing, fellas, about training a goalie in season. There's, there's always, I, I remember one of the top guys, I think it was Mitch Coyne said this to me, where you end up doing about 90% of what the goaltender w- wants you to do and about 10% of what you should be doing because you can't really mess and tweak too much. You can't during a season. So a lot of that is oftentimes just really being very careful with what you are changing in season. And that's why I wonder about goalie development. I wonder about player development because the NHL player development staff, quote unquote, isn't available and allowed to work with you through the summer. That's the only time you can really break away bad habits. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And obviously, uh, for the team they're playing tonight makes a, a big difference for them is the success they've had in their crease. Last year, the Rangers, 110 points. I think there was like a 670 winning percentage. Very good team. This year behind that pace, a pretty good clip. But coming on of late, do you see a lot more to be excited about the Rangers feeling like this is a team that still has cup aspirations? Yeah, you know what, Borny? I was looking at this earlier today. Um, after 47 games this year, uh, compared to 47 games last year, they've only had one more loss. Wow. So uh, it, they're not really that off. They're off on their OT and sh- uh, shootout points, and they're also off because they've lost eight games against non-playoff teams. They've just wow. blown eight games. It's a lot like covering the Leafs. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I always wonder about this, fellas. I'm wondering about expectations. Why why is it so hard to meet expectations the years, the years after you have success? And that's what the Rangers have gone through. And up until December 5th, man, the playoffs were in doubt. But they've gone on a run since December 5th and played great hockey. But uh, it's a lot about expectations. Have you guys, you guys have watched Drive to Survive, right, on Netflix? Yes. Have you seen uh, out right now it is uh, Breakpoint? They're, they're doing the tennis, it on the tennis players? Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I saw it. Phenomenal. Yeah. Intense. Golf, golf okay, one so coming out, by the way. 
Well, that one's good. Like, see, these are these are the looks that hockey needs, right? And I know you guys had your thing with the Leafs, but I, I want to bring this up because Andy Roddick comes out in the first interview, right? And he's one of the main characters, and he's won a lot in his career. He's won a Grand Slam. He's won 32 times. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is the hardest thing to deal with in sports is expectations. It's fun before the expectations begin. And he goes on to say, my feeling is the hardest thing collectively to manage in pro sports is expectations. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, isn't that the truth? Like, that's where it gets hard. And, and Kipper knows uh, the years in New York where you guys were President's Trophy winning team. You don't make the playoffs. And then you're President's winning. Uh, were you President's Trophy in 94, uh, yeah. Kipper, as well? Yeah, we were. Yeah, so, like, you saw what happened in between. You know, the expectations. I guess there was learning there. Do you know why the real Kipper and Bourne show is so good? Because no one expects anything <laughs> uh, above uh, our heads right now <laughs> yeah. in, in the Rogers building. So true. Zero. <laughs> Zero. Low <laughs> expectations help our show, the Valley. Lowest. <laughs> Not true. Not true. <laughs> you guys know how I feel. We're joined by Steve Valakat, uh, analyst for the New York Rangers, MSG. Uh, specifically, we're talking about a 15 and 4 uh, and 2 record uh, to, to speak of uh, since December 5th for the New York Rangers. So, what has worked right? Uh, the lines, has he got the right mix now? Trochik, uh, not, not a ton of chemistry with Panarin. Is. Is he now finding a, a fit? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll start with uh, the goalie, and I'll work my way through quickly. Shesterkin, uh, he's right back to where he was last year with the exception of one thing, for whatever reason. Uh, he's given up bad goals more often than we saw last year. Uh, eight right now up until this point this year that he's allowed, and he only allowed eight of all of last season. Hmm. So if there was one step back for him, it's just been maybe – the expectations of being a Vesna guy and carrying that load and burden every night when you're the goalie too, guys, when you're the opposing goalie, you know who you're up against. You wouldn't believe how good the goalies have played against the Rangers this year. It seems like every night somebody's the game's first or second, third star. So there's been uh, that bit of a battle, but the team is either fifth or sixth going into tonight's game and goals against. So that's not an issue. The D this D is awesome. I think this D is terrific. The team D uh, as far as their six, uh, Keandre Miller, wait till you see this guy play. What a player. Yeah. So good, so dynamic. Uh, he's always a threat on the rush. He'll go right up on every play. But the, the cool thing about this guy is he's so long and he's such a great skater, he always gets back. And um, one more time, I guess, from my perspective, when I was playing, I always hated when the defenseman that never scored on me in practice would be joining the rush in the game. I'd be like, what's this guy going for? That's terrible. You know? What's the point of this? He's not... He's so easy to stop in practice. He's never going to score, and he's slow getting back. Yeah. Well, that's not the case with Keander. Like, so he's, he's that elite, and Truba's brought his game around. He's uh, handling the captaincy really well right now. Fox is out of this world. He's he's not a great skater, but and I don't mean that in a way that I just want to say that he actually outperforms everything that you may see with his head. He's just that good. And uh, so they've got a great group. Uh, the, the third line tonight, it most likely will be Trocek. BC and Goudreau and uh, before before Kreider was hurt he was playing there and that was the best we saw Trocek go he right now has uh, the worst shooting percentage in the NHL on his scoring chances he's had tons of chances he's performing about nine goals less than what he should so he's kind of we'll see how it works for him he, he's not really fit with Panarin yet but they're going to load up the first line and Zibanejad, Panarin and Kreider they're a handful uh, they'll be really good, and the kid line has been pretty good. They're they're better together than separated. 
So uh, the matchup up front, as we know, you guys have the uh, top-heavy team. You guys are the guys with the upper body in the gym, upper body only. Yeah. So you guys will be good. Yeah. And, and, and piano legs on defense. Piano legs. <laughs> you know, the, so the matchup will be good. It'll be a good game. It will be good. And just last one for me, uh, obviously, I really appreciate the breakdown on this team. I mean, I feel well prepared for tonight's game, but there was, you know, some – Tension with Lafreniere once upon a time here. You know, how have things sh- shaken out with him and his coach and his ice time, and where is he at? Yeah, i got to be careful in this one, Barney. I, um, I, yeah. I've had a few warnings uh, recently. Oh, okay. So, uh, next question, please. Okay. No <laughs> <laughs> well, we will keep an eye on him. That's an answer in itself. We'll take it. So, I, I should skip uh, whether or not it. I'm going to ask you whether uh, uh, Gerard Gallant, uh, you know, is, is uh, still got a long-term future with the New York Rangers because sometimes it seems like uh, the finger gets pointed at him uh, when things aren't going well. But it just seems to be a good fit right now for everyone. No, I think that, you know, everything went sideways up until, you know what it really was? It was just losses. I, back to expectations, they lost, fellas, against San Jose, Columbus, Detroit, Anaheim. They lost back-to-back Ottawa, Chicago. And then the team got their collective head out of their ass, and they changed it around, and everything changed. And it came from a comeback. They were down by three. They ended up winning 6-4, coming back in the third period versus St. Louis. They've been terrific since. Uh, A big point of that catalyst, though, is the D. The D, guys. Oh, and Kipper? Told you I came prepared. I looked this up. I texted you this, yeah. and I went to the league, and I wanted to find out because I listened to uh, Off the Rails Fridays with Doug McClain. <laughs> one of my favorite segments. And uh, we talked about how Doug brought up on the show 150 points by the decor. That's what you need to get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Last year, only one team didn't have 150 points from the D. That was the Los Angeles Kings. This year... The Rangers already have 117 points from their D. They're tracking to well over 200. So if there's as strong as some of the names are up front, it comes from the back end. And Shesterkin, Shesterkin almost scored on a one-timer Monday versus uh, versus Florida. Okay? A one-timer. The puck came at the net. The puck came at the net, and he went down, didn't stop it. Usually we field it with the glove behind and one knee down. He one-timed it. It went over everybody, and he missed it up by six inches at the empty net. It was unbelievable. NHL first, if that right. happened. And oh, the fans are waiting for Morgan Riley to get one. Oh, I, I heard that, too. <laughs> yeah, so uh, at any rate, I thought that stat was neat. Oh, one last thing on the stat. Um, we might have to put the numbers up because 25 of 32 teams last year had at least 150 points from their D. Wow. I'm, I'm literally, as you're talking, counting up the Leafs' yeah, total D yeah, points yeah. right yeah. now. Going, I don't me think they're there. We're not close to 100. <laughs> no. Wow. <laughs> okay. We're going to find right. that out, but though. Yeah, so Doug McClain was right. Off the rails is on point. Good don't to know. tell him that. Yeah. Doug, don't worry. Doug's not listening. <laughs> no, he's, listening. He's, he's a quiet listener, too. I believe for it. For sure. I, like, I loved his line the last time. Hey, guys, I love listening when I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Hey, Steve, always but a pleasure, man. I love listening to you when I'm on. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We got that one tucked away when we need it. Uh, enjoy the game tonight, okay? It'll be fun. Always a pleasure having you on our show, pal. All right, fellas. Keep it up. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Valley. Steve Valicat. What a turn. Oh, my God. Is he ever.
fantastic. If you were going to have guests come on your show regularly, you would play that interview and be like, this is how you prepare to come on. <laughs> Although we don't pay anyone anything, so I guess you can't lecture them on how to prepare. Sammy. That Murray stat stinks. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy's been sitting on that for 20 minutes. That's the number one thing that kills a team. 96 points when the it matters that's the number one thing that kills you tie game battling and your goalie lets one in how often does that kill a team never just goes Ugh. lets it out then the, and then the next one goes in you're down two like it happens that's happened a million times in the game of hockey okay so we're gonna go to break uh and you're gonna count up uh how far the leafs are that magic number. Derek Brandeo. He just, he just said it. 96 points 90, from the least D. Under 100? 96. Yeah. 96. That's, can I be honest? Way more than I thought. You know why yeah, me it's too. way more? Me too. Mark Giordano has a quiet 17. Timmons has a dozen. Yeah, it's You true. know, like. So. Let's uh, all have one. Hall has 12 points. 150 okay. should be fine. They should be okay. Yeah, they'll get there. Sure. And Morgan. Morgan's got to go through a stretch when he starts getting some bounces. No. Just zero goals. He's on the first power play unit. Yes. He's got Yes, he's gonna get yes. a bounce now. Something's yes. going in. I think I might put a couple bucks on a Morgan Riley goal tonight. Not a bad time to hey. bet Riley to score until it happens. Good. He can go ten straight games and still come out ahead. Okay, let's go to uh the break here. Kristen Shilton's gonna be joining us, NHL reporter. We'll talk a little Willie Nylander and what he might be looking at come July first. On oh a new contract. Not this again. Not just me. All right. Let's do it. Kristen. <laughs> that and more after the break, including Mark Recchi in the second hour. Plenty more to chew on on the real Kipper and Bourne show. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Leafs and the Rangers tonight, Wednesday night hockey. You'll Big be on night. Wednesday night Scotiabank hockey. Yes, sir. I know. You look as surprised as now, my family. Yeah. <laughs> kind of ticked off that they didn't promote you on this social media. Who else is on the show? Uh, Carolyn Cameron, Jamal Myers, and Anthony Stewart. Yeah, I knew that. You know how I knew that? It was in the uh, the, the promo that hey, they tweeted out. Thanks for having my back on that. Thank you. And no, you're nowhere to be found. That's I'm, just uh, some serious disrespect for my boy. Yeah, get him fired up. <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, okay, we're going to get to Kristen, but I just want to say at the break, I had one of those Aunt Beth cookies. Oh, my God. Well, listen, I'm over here eating peanut M&Ms trying to make up for it. It was unbelievable. I don't care if Aunt Beth has hands like a Muppet. I mean, <laughs> it was fantastic. Seriously, that's the smallest bag I've ever seen. If we could just... right, get it on the rails here, will you? All right, all right. It's not Friday. Let's get it back on the rails. Kristen, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I really enjoyed all of what I just heard. So uh, thank you for entertaining me for the last 90 seconds. Kristen Shilton is joining us, NHL reporter for ESPN, <laughs> does a terrific job, and uh, 
I don't know why she agrees to come on our show, but uh, we, thank, we, we thank you for that. Maybe it's a charity feel for you, but whatever <laughs> the case is, we're glad you're aboard. So um, just want to start off because I did mention it going to break uh, Willie Nylander and the season that he's having, and it's still a little quiet, but you know, with so much focus right from probably the offseason on Austin Matthews, Austin Matthews, has he kind of quietly come under the radar here? Um, with a great year and knowing that he's eligible to renegotiate July 1st? Yeah, you know, I, I think Nylander is having an incredible season for a lot of reasons, but, you know, we, we didn't talk as much about him going into this year just because I think the incredible times 10 season that uh, Matthews had last year just really dominated the conversation around Toronto's forwards. And you're seeing Mitch Marner, I think, even under the radar. You're seeing William Nylander flying under the radar a bit. And obviously there is, um, you know, those financial elements coming up, especially uh, for Nylander. And of course, his contract has been this constant source of debate and conversation. Is he overpaid? Is he underpaid? Is he, you know, has as his contract, you know, somehow hamstrung the Leafs and not being able to make other moves. So uh, I'm sure he takes a lot of uh, pride just in his individual game, but there's also got to be that little side of him right now. That's like, yeah, you know, when we go back to the negotiating table, you know, if you thought before that, um, you know, the deal that he got was, uh, was big, you know, you'd have to think he's going to be looking for a raise as well, based on how well this season has gone. And, when you really think about the adaptability of the Leafs' top six as well, just look at, you know, Sheldon Keith being able to go back to Matthews and Marner. It's because of Nylander and because he's playing so well, you don't have to worry that the second line is going to suffer without Matthews or Marner on it. And that's a huge, huge thing when you can, you know, make up for that problem that they've had in the past just because of how good Nylander is. So it, on every level, this has been just a great uh, campaign so far for him. Kristen here at Sportsnet last year, preparing for the trade deadline. They came to me and asked me to do some feature videos on some of the bigger names, and that included Andrew Kopp and Nick Paul. Uh, this year, it feels like there's some bigger names available out there, whether it's O'Reilly or Tarasenko, um, you know, Bo Horvat. Does it seem like this year there is... Uh, an inordinate amount of huge names who could change teams. Are you hearing a lot of action this year? You know, I, there's a lot of names, but there really doesn't from the conversations that I've had at this point, the, the action has not been, uh, has not been engaged at this point. And I don't think that's surprising. It's still a flat cap world. There are still teams that want to see what happens over the next month or so before they, potentially go after a really highly prized or a very, you know, top end rental. And in a lot of these cases, these would be rental pieces. They're they're players that have had a lot of success in the league. They're veterans who will, you know, hopefully if if you're them, they're looking for a place that they can land uh, and have some playoff success this year that also allows them to showcase their talents and potentially work that into uh, a new contract, uh, what could be the last big contract of their careers. So there's multiple layers, I feel like, to the trade deadline this year, just in terms of what, uh, you know, when you look at some of those teams at the top, like if you're looking at a Bruins or a Carolina or a Toronto, A, how much are you willing to invest in what could potentially just be a rental piece, and B, how soon do you want to go after those players? If you're Toronto, for example, 
I would think you would want to get whatever trade work that you had in mind done kind of early because you would want that player to get into, you know, the system as quickly as possible and actually be able to have an impact as opposed to waiting until March. And then, you know, you try to pick up one of these big names that you mentioned and it takes time. Like even, you know, the, most professional veteran. I mean, you come into a new room, you're learning a new system. It takes time. So I I do think that there is a maybe disproportionate number of, of bigger names out there, but I don't know yet if that will translate into a larger number of actual trades that happen, or if there will be a lot of movement, A, because of salary cap, B, just some of those top teams that might target those rentals. You have to balance do I want to go all in and go after the Bohorvat, for example, or the Ryan O'Reilly, or do I like what I have? Is the chemistry good? Do I not want to mess with that? It's a balancing act. And I, I do think that the cap will continue to have an effect on how aggressive some of these teams want to be. Uh, but I am as curious as anyone to see when they're going to shift into a, a bit more of a, a buy, buy, buy kind of mindset, because that's always the most fun. We're joined by Kristen Shilton, uh, who does terrific work for ESPN. And, and Kristen, you're absolutely right. That flat cap is coming into play here um, with all these names. And, you know, there come March 3rd, you could see a lot more supply than demand based on uh, a, a few things. The Boston Bruins, do you find them intriguing here when you are up historically uh, against uh, the top teams in history over the course of a regular season uh, what are the odds of them making a, a major uh, change to what seems to be like perfect chemistry? <laughs> you know, I just was actually having that conversation uh, the other day about what what is the, the right, and I just talk about balancing act, but what is the right formula when you're as good as Boston is right now? When it feels like up front, they've got the depth that they wanted. On the back end, they've got unheralded, uh, defensemen having great seasons. They have a terrific goaltending tandem. Jim Montgomery has been absolutely excellent uh, sliding behind the bench. Everything is kind of in place for Boston. So when you, you think about, you know, some of the comments that Don Sweeney made most recently, just saying, you know, you you want to be aggressive. You want to add if you need to. But what does that aggressive look like? And and how aggressive are the, are the Bruins going to be willing to go? Are they going to target like a top-end piece? Are they going to give up, you know, whatever asset they would have to because they feel so strongly about trying to win one more for Bergeron and trying to win one more for Krejci and those guys that have given them so much over the years? Is that the right play? And you just have to be so careful because in order to, if you're Boston, yes, you don't want to disrupt the chemistry. You don't want to bring somebody into that room or into that lineup that changes what's made them so successful. But then you don't want to look back with regret and think, you know, we, we didn't get out of the second round or we didn't, you know, we lost in the conference final. And, and would it have been different if we just targeted that one guy that could have made our top six that much better? You know, there's there's always those conversations that you're going to have. And, and it comes down to, I think, just trusting your team and trusting, you know, if they can manage having someone else come in. And you you have to be confident in who that player is going to be. 
uh, because I, I don't think that based on their cap situation and, and what they have in the pipeline, that they would want to, you know, potentially damage themselves in, in the, the near future with, with a contract that they can't carry. But at the same time, you know, Boston just this feels like such a huge, huge opportunity for them. You don't want to be Tampa, you know, that team that is so good in the regular season and then just, you know, flops in the first round like they did in 2019. You don't want that to be uh, what's coming and, and you want to safeguard against that. Uh, at the at the trade deadline if you can but I don't know I just think I look at Boston and I'm like I have no notes I I maybe a bottom six winger maybe Ivan Barbashev but I don't think you need a I don't think that you need a top player uh, or another top player I should say in order to uh, really find the success that uh, they're projected to have going into the uh, the eventual postseason here. Kristen, well, looking around, you know, that's the successful end of the NHL. The other end is the Vancouver Canucks and what they've just been going through with the replacing a head coach. Fun to get everyone's take on this. Why do you think, what are you hearing about why it all went down so messily? Why was this such a disastrous situation for Vancouver, the front office, the fans and all involved? You know, I think that there's a lot of cooks uh, in the kitchen in Vancouver. And when you're, when you've got a lot of strong voices, you've got a lot of executives with experience. I think everybody kind of wants to be heard. Everybody wants their opinion involved. And when that happens, you kind of can see that result where it comes out disjointed and it comes out like we weren't all on the same page about what was happening. And there wasn't a sort of linear, maybe enough chain of command there to say like, here's, here's who's going to make the decision and here's the decision that's going to be made and here's when we're going to do it. And this is not something that's going to go on and on because you just, it didn't feel like a streamlined process. It felt like everyone had to put their opinion in and and have their say and try to, um, you know, fix a problem that didn't really need to be a problem because if Jim Rutherford was, was coming in and there was going to be a sort of changing of the guard in the Canucks front office, then if at that point they knew, and it sounds like that could have been the case, that they knew that Bruce Boudreau was not going to be the guy, then that decision needs to be made. Like, it needs to be made, it needs to be wrapped up, and you need to move on from it. Because what happened in the end is you just put two really good coaches in bad positions. Whether it's Tockett coming in to this whirlwind of bad PR or it's Boudreaux who's leaving in the most, you know, just the most awful cringeworthy way possible. It just didn't have to be that way. And and I think if you had to boil it down, it was just a lot of different voices and opinions and and people trying to line up, uh, you know, the right way to go about it. And it just ended up being a total mess because if you're not on the same page and you're not willing to make that, you know, make that hard decision at the time it needs to be made, it just drags on and there's never a good time. And that's the thing. It's like in any breakup, in any relationship, it's really easy to just everybody keeps pretending everything's fine until at some point you're like, oh, hey, you know, it's over and it's awkward and no one's happy. And it just didn't need to be that way. So that's, you know, kind of my my read on it. I think Jim Rutherford's comments is saying that, you know, I'm just not going to talk at all anymore. Uh, probably speaks to that same feeling of they just need one voice. They need one voice. They need one, you know, streamlined 
communication pathway. And uh, if if nothing else, you just hope that Vancouver kind of learned a lesson here and also <laughs> maybe other teams as well. Kristen, you, you've been around long enough to maybe uh... – kind of know that Vancouver market uh, and is it as simple as Jimmy Rutherford uh, saying a few words like that or uh, is there a chance that uh, this vibe won't die down anytime soon for Rutherford or, or Talkit? How do you see this playing out in the next few weeks or right to the deadline? You know, it all comes down, I think, to what happens on the ice because it's just, you know, winning can mask everything. That's That's the thing is that if you can get some momentum going, if you can, you know, if Talkit can breathe some life into this team and you see them have a little bit more success. And I, I think that kind of covers all manner of ill is that if Talkit can get the most out of some of these players that maybe the fan base have seen as disappointing or underperforming or just players that maybe haven't been giving enough, if, if you can just get everybody on on a better on a better page it just comes back to that it's on it's on the same page but it's just start a new chapter and at that point the front office stuff kind of fades into the background you're there's going to be something that happens with Bohorvat here at some point will there be other trades I guess we'll see but for right now just focus on winning and focus on giving your team some or sorry your fan base and your players and your the whole organization just something to feel good about and I think that's where all of those other they've talked the talk they've they've made their explanations and they've they've had the conversations and so now it's just time to just play hockey and I think that's where you know the players find their reprieve obviously in the game and it's where the fan base wants to see the improvements. That's why the change was made. It was a hockey decision, according to everyone, that this was going to be, you know, a way for the Canucks to improve. You know, that's, that's I think, all anybody wants to see, is that it was worth it to move, uh, to talk it the way that they did and to, to, you know, make the change because they believe in what the results are going to be because of it. And I would just think that that should be the focus that Vancouver has make some good decisions at the trade deadline, even if that's a seller mentality, and try to regroup uh, whatever, you know, sort of goodwill you can from this season based on how you play on the ice. Kristen, always a pleasure having you on the show, and you're so generous with your time. Uh, I'm going to have uh, Derek Brandeu uh, mail you an Aunt Beth's cookie. <laughs> I can't wait. You made them sound so good. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Thanks, Kristen. We appreciate it. Kristen Shilton, ESPN. I was going to ask you something here. Yeah. You know, the GM of the St. Louis Blues is Doug Armstrong. And the GM of the, you know, you can go through the teams. You know who. You know, now you got the Montreal Canadiens who have Jeff Gordon as the president, right? Or director of hockey ops or whatever his title is. And then Kent Hughes is the GM. And in Vancouver, you know, Rutherford is doing all this. Then Patrick Elvian is kind of the GM. What is the deal with the the changing structure? Do you do you see the NHL going to this more where there's like it feels like they have the power, the presidents here to make the decisions and then the GM again like Alvin is look, like Look no further than the Toronto Raptors here with Masai Ujiri yeah, well, as the president a, and Bobby Webster as the GM. But everyone <laughs> refers to Masai as the guy who runs it. Right, and makes Bobby, the decisions. But Bobby Webster is the GM. It's it's a you it's know, a weird dynamic. It, it, there's just one boss. There's one guy in charge. Right. And it's Messiah here in basketball, and it's Jimmy Rutherford 
in Vancouver. And ultimately, you assume that, that Gorton is the guy in charge in Montreal, but... Doesn't speak French, so they made him the president? No, well, I mean, let's just set that aside <laughs> for right, a second. Right, right, right. Is that you have to have your, your, your idea of what kind of structure you want, and you have to empower people around you. I agree with that. And right now, Alvin's not empowered. No. Neither is... Um, Hughes. Uh, no, Hughes oh. is. Oh, okay. No, Hughes is. But I was just going to say, uh, they've got assistant general managers in Vancouver, Ka- uh, Cammy Granado and... Uh, uh, Emily Castingay. Castingay. Yeah. Not empowered. So it's all in in what you, the boundaries that your your president sets. Jimmy is making phone calls. Jimmy is doing deals. Jimmy decides. <laughs> is this a Seinfeld episode? I was just about to say. <laughs> right? Jimmy, Jimmy makes trades. <laughs> Jimmy makes trades. Pure Dorian okay. does a Pure Dorian does. <laughs> That's right. Montreal. Yeah. Ken Hughes makes calls. He does. Jeff Gordon's not the guy. Great. And that's where, like, you're empowered. Yeah. Now. Weird situation when you come in as a first-time GM say, sure, call me a GM. At, and at I'll the end of the seconds. day, it, it might still be a little frustrating for other teams, depending on who's making the calls for them, to say, okay, you know, we've presented you something, and then I, I don't know in terms of how much uh, – empowerment is involved for Ken Hughes to say, yeah, we're going to do this deal and uh, I've got the authority to do it. Well, you hate the idea, like, let me just ask mom and dad if I can make that And that's just it. Like, are you just dealing with a runner right now? Right. Because it's going to get to crunch time March 3rd and teams are not going to have the patience to watch you run back and forth with a little note like you're in grade six. Right. I, just I let really, me talk to the person who makes the decisions. I, I really like her. Can you yeah. pass me this note? <laughs> can I talk to, your, pa- to the manager? Pass- well, <laughs> the actual manager. So, how much of that happens here with you, Kyle and Shannon? You will have to be in a position to get deals done quickly, possibly on trade deadline day, mm-hmm. and just give me the decision maker right now. I know. And so, Sammy, I don't think at all until I wonder if this year's different with Kyle not having a contract beyond this year. How now can it not? There's no way it can. There's no way it can. Like it doesn't affect it. Well, There's and just... so what a different situation then if suddenly he goes, you know, yeah, I know I've made all the decisions up till now, but hang on. I don't know if I can move that first until I talk to my, you know, that's different. I would believe that Kyle cannot do a thing without a stamp of approval from Brendan Shanahan. And if we're talking something of a larger degree, the board. Really? Really. Come on. What are you... Call really? Larry Tannenbaum and ask him about his, what he thinks of the stick positioning of Gavrikov. 100%. By the way, love Larry Tannenbaum. Okay. No disrespect. 100%. Hmm. Okay. You don't think right now Austin Matthews eligible to be signed July 1st? Larry Tannenbaum's not involved in that. Are you crazy? That's big, a different big thing. Though. Business, big dollars. That's a different hey, thing. That's that's so. A, that's hey, a, so is two first rounders no. to make a trade. Kipper, the two no. first rounders versus a hundred million dollar contract are two very different conversations, in my opinion. No, like if you're like talking, we're, we're talking about deals that could uh, affect uh, making the playoffs in three or four years, five years, which hey. is millions and millions of dollars. I see your point. Are you, are you nuts right now? 
I'm not nuts, but I think that I think 100% they want to be involved in the future of their franchise. Of course. When Skipper. when you've got a guy that's been in charge the last little while and you can't get out of the first round. Then I wonder if that would make the guy who's been in charge up till now feel more like what am I doing here? I'm sure there's been many nights he's gone to bed asking that question while he would probably behind the scenes still be pushing for an extension. Like, come on, he's got the he's got a, a top five team in the NHL right now. Again. That seems to be set up to compete. Why wouldn't he be asking for an extension now? Why would I I don't want to wait? Unless he does want to wait. You know what I mean? Because he's not I don't sure believe about what's that happening. For one here. second. Yeah. Not one second. Likes it here. Yeah. Family. That's true. Uh, kids, two young kids in school. He's, and stuff. he's made a an emotional investment in the. You like the juice, huh? Like the juice. He wants to stick around. He is wants he, his extension yesterday. He'll only leave if the job uh, at Sault Ste. Marie opens up. But just to, <laughs> the other Kyle, Kyle Raft is not the lead that one. Just to bring kidding. this conversation full circle. Yep. I believe that everybody's on board right now. Going into this trade deadline, the most important one. For, for Kyle mm-hmm. and the organization in the last six years is what it looks like and what are what's at risk here. The more we kick it around, though, the more I, I wonder what it has looked like the approval process in past years to trade a first for whoever. If it has, in fact, involved higher-ups or how much. I'm sure Shanahan has been involved in those things. I don't don't believe every single move needs to go and get a stamp of approval from the board of directors. But when you're talking about uh, really... Meyer? Yeah, those are big. The guy with the $10 million qualifying offer? Does does Kyle... Would Kyle at all entertain uh, Eric Carlson? We're talking about... 40 plus million left on his deal. Can you get San Jose to eat 50% of it? Would now you look, if you can get San Jose to pick up 50%, yeah. it's essentially taking Muzzin's contract off and putting Carlson's on. I just am so mind blown every time you bring up this contract. That, you that, blow, it's but, just so unkipper. But, but that, that just doesn't, uh, that just doesn't begin and end with Kyle Dubas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big decision that can yeah. affect the franchise for 10 years. Yeah, and I, I would love to know what those different relationships look like throughout the NHL. You know, like I know Tom Dundon would have some say in what happens in Carolina. I know that for a fact, as do you. You know, I don't know that it's the same in St. Louis or Washington with Brian McClellan or, you know, go around the league at some of the bigger, more powerful GMs. Who do they have to go to, yeah. and is it anyone? Well, you're talking about spending their millions, not your Mr. own. Mr. Leonsis, I would right? like to spend $50 million of your you're, money. You're, yeah, you may want to run right? that by Ted. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Just just let me know. <laughs> yeah, shoot me a text. Me a heads up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the owner listens to his neighbor or his barber yeah. telling him and he's crazy. And that's when things get off the rails. And that's when it's off the rails Friday. Yeah, it's off the rails season. My barber told me that, you know, that... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Ilya Samsonov, he should maybe get a new contract. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> he's fantastic. He's having a great year. Seven yeah, years. Yeah, you're right. I never thought of that. Yeah, we should get Samsonov for seven. Yeah, anyways. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Mark Recchi, Stanley Cup champion, is going to come on board and talk a little Rick Tockett and uh, some of the challenges still facing him, not only for the rest of the year, 
uh, but maybe uh, the next few. Yes, sir. Mark Recchi, Stanley Cup champion. After the break, you're watching and listening to Real Kipper and Bourne. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Real Kipper and Bourne on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Always great when we get guests that have been around the game a long time. Both as a player now, Mark Recchi's been behind the bench uh, as well. And now wrote a terrific article on uh, on Rick Tockett and, and the challenges that uh, he may face uh, in Vancouver. Uh, let's bring in the wrecking ball now. Rex, how are you? Hey, good, Nick. Justin, how you guys doing? We're, we're well. Um, uh, terrific piece as well. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, I'm writing a few articles too. Bunch of journalists out yeah, here. Yeah, we're giving... J- yeah, yeah, well, I got to give Dan Rosen a little bit of credit, though. <laughs> Especially when it comes to spelling and punctuation. Yeah, pretty much so, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, it, it, I, I read it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, certainly, uh, your history with uh, with Rick Tockett uh, uh, shows a lot in, in this article. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys were originally traded for each other, correct? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, 92. Did you, did you guys, uh, like like meet in the hallway uh, or, or uh, <laughs> now you didn't really get to know him though until you were basically uh, teammates again in the early 2000s. Well, we, I actually got to know him actually not long after we got traded. Um, I went back to Pittsburgh. I was still, you know, Kevin Stevens and the whole crew and they were all tight. And then they won in 92. Um, and then, you know, I met him and then, you know, we kind of hit it off right from the get go, really. Um, you know, so it was, uh, you know, something from there. And then, you know, obviously when you, when you play together, then you get an opportunity to play together years down the line. And it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty neat. So you guys had a relationship and so you have a fundamental, fundamental understanding of the man. Um, what should people expect from, you know, what does Rick talk at prioritize in a hockey team? Well, he, you know what, he's going to be, he's going to communicate. He, he knows how to communicate with players very well. He's going to be, He's going to be structured. Uh, they're going to end up being a, a real structured team uh, that is hard to play against. And, and, you know, and he's, you know, he's going to have a say in, in, you know, what type of players he wants to keep around and what type of players he wants to bring in. And, and I think that's important for a coach. And I think, you know, with, the, with obviously having a relationship with management before, they know Rick well. They know the type of person he is and, and the type of players he likes. And, and I think they want to build that identity as a team and, and the culture. And, and that's what uh, I think they're, the biggest thing for them is bringing Rick in for that matter. Mark, you write uh, about uh, player-coach relationship and particularly how uh, a guy like uh, Talk may have to go in there and, and focus on the core players I mean, you were one of those guys as well. Um, uh, speak to that, and, and maybe, you know, even in your career, uh, which head coach did you find it easiest to, to build that type of relationship with? Yeah, you know, you know he's got he's to gotta figure out who the guys are in that room that he's going to, that are going to buy all in with them and, uh, you know, meet them 50-50. And, you know, it, it's never, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take some time. 
Um, you know, there might be some younger guys in the waiting that, you know, need to be the guys that are going to step up. Um, obviously, you got JT Miller, you know, you got Bo Horvat, um, who are, are, you know, obviously guys who are experienced and, uh, and leaders in their own right right now. And, and um, you know, he's going to have to find out what group that core group is for him. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I had lots of good coaches, um, you know, that I had great relationships with and, and you know, communicated very well with. Um, you know, you, I mean, I had Roger Nielsen was one of the, you know, he was one of the better ones. Bob Johnson early in my career. Um, God, I could go down the list. I had a lot of coaches. So, um, you know, it, it's it's great to have that. You need that. And, you know, as a coach, you know, you need you need to let the, you know, you need to find those leaders and you need, and Nick, you know, as well, you need to let those guys lead in the dressing room and take control of the dressing room. You can't micromanage. You have to let, you know, you have to let that uh, take its part. And, uh, you know, when you, when you get a strong enough room, that can happen. So what have you seen over the course of your career in the evolution of player coach relationships? You know, I, I feel like, you know, my dad played for Al Arbor and used to, you know, basically say that you didn't hear anything. You know, you played on the line you were told and you didn't ask questions and that was just the way it was. Now, you know, working a little bit with the Marley, seeing guys come into the room every day and say, well, how come I got taken off the PK? You know, like what have you seen in, in terms of how things have evolved? That's exactly, you, you hit it right on the nose. When we, you know, back when, you know, we started and, you know, in the eight, late 80s and 90s, it, you just, hey, you didn't have a lot of communication with uh you know, uh, head coaches and, and you know, uh, assistant coaches were probably more their buffer than anything. But the head coaches, they were they were there and they were demanding and you didn't ask questions, you just did what they asked. And, and uh, now there's now there's a 50-50 game where you have to, you know, you have to work with each other. Like, they want answers. They want, you know, they want to know why you want, you know, they you want them to do this. They want to know why you want to play this system. They, they want those answers and, and, you know, you got to be ready to give them to them. And it's just a different era now. And it's a, you know, whether it's good or bad or, you know, whatever, I, you know, that's the way it's evolved. And, and it's, um, you know, somewhere where, you know, you, you just have some say in the room, but you better buy all in if, you know, once you get to that relationship. We're talking to Mark, Recky, three-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, eighth all-time in games played, 16-29. Now for Rick Tockett, uh, you know, a lot of success in Pittsburgh behind a bench, but uh, it gets a little easier when you can look at 87 uh, leading the way in, in Sid Crosby. Right now he's got a captain in Bo Horvat uh, who's having a terrific year but knows he's on a limited time here. Uh, does that make that challenge that you're talking about uh, a little harder on Rick? It, it does to a certain extent, yes. But, I mean, I think they're both, you know, he's going to have Bo's best interest at heart. And, uh, you know, I, Bo, I don't know Bo as a, play, as a person, but, you know, he's got to know that Rick's in his court and he's going to know that. And so he's going to buy all in until, you know, that day comes, whether he gets traded or not. You know, he's going to buy all in, and, and I think Rick's going to treat him that way. Rick's going to treat him like he's part of it. And, um, you know, he's part of the, you know, the group right now and, and uh, make him feel like he's the, you know, he's the captain and, and go from there and see what happens. That's all you can do at this point for Rick, and I think he'll handle, they'll have, both handle it very well. So this time of year, you know, don't want to call it quite the dog days yet. Maybe it's a bit of the dog days, but, you know, you've been a part of enough teams. You just mentioned the eighth all-time in, in games played. 
You know, how, how would a team like the Leafs find motivation right now, Rex? Like, it's just a really tough spot there. They know they're playing Tampa as 50, you know, 30-some games to go. You know, I guess that might be a leadership team. You know, how did you keep yourself motivated during times like this? Yeah, it, it, it really is the, the dog time, dog days right now of, of uh, you know, the, the time. You know, fortunately, they got a week off. There's these week breaks now, I think, which is going to help teams. Yeah. And uh, it might help a team like the Leafs where they get a little bit of a break, get a little refreshed, and they come back and they say, oh, man, let's, let's focus on these last 30 games, doing everything right, going to the playoffs on a high note, feeling good about ourselves, and then taking it from there. And, and hopefully they can make that playoff run from that point. Rex, today's coach, um, you know, Mike Sullivan, to me, is is one of the top guys. I really enjoy what he's been able to do in Pittsburgh. John Cooper as well. But uh, are there other names out there that uh, you've watched from afar and, and admired? Uh, yeah, for sure. Like I've seen uh, you know, Bednar in, in Colorado. I know they won, but I just liked how he's handled the, he managed his team, especially through this right now. He had a lot of injuries early in this year after winning the cup. I really like what he's done. Um, you know, I like you know I like the coach in Minnesota, Dean Avison. I think he's done a terrific job. I mean, there's a lot of good coaches out there, and you know it's it's uh, you know it's not an easy it's not an easy gig. It's a hard gig. It's demanding, and but these guys are, you know, they all do a terrific job. So let me get this straight: the coaches, they, they don't walk in the room the same time as the players and leave at the same time as the players. <laughs> oh man, I wish they could say that. You, you did, Jeepers. <laughs> There's about, about an extra eight hours in that day. Yeah. yeah. How about you? You 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 want something full time? You want me to start uh, pushing your name out there? <laughs> I'm okay for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I get a I might want to get back into management possibly, you know, do something like that. Hey, I've so. I've seen your career earnings, man. You are doing yeah. just yeah. fine. <laughs> hey Rex. So. Thanks for doing this, man. Really appreciate your always. time as always. No problem, guys. Great time. Have a good great night. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Mark Recky, uh wrote a terrific article. Uh Sammy, that was uh NHL.com, right? Yeah, Dan Correct. Rosen. Yeah, on uh, on Rick Tockett. Yeah, so I don't feel like we talked a ton about the whole Vancouver transition and now what? Like, what what's a win for the Canucks for the rest well, of the season? You don't or make Tockett. a move like this halfway through to not try to win. Right, right? but it's you're going to trade guys to lose logically now, right? Like, I, I think that uh, Jimmy Rutherford has it in his mind that uh, he can – he can turn this thing around without sinking for two or three years. Can I just say that it doesn't reflect overly well on the Vancouver Canucks players that twice when they've changed the coach in the past two years, they've immediately been better. Like, I don't know. I know they played Chicago last night, so maybe I'm jumping the gun on that, but they outshot them 48 to 14. So is this a team when you're like, you can convince them to try, they're actually okay? That's what... Jimmy Rutherford's banking on. Right. That is the implication here, that this group is just like, yeah, they get disinterested, but when they try, they're pretty good. And we've never wavered on the fact that they are good enough to not sink to the bottom. And you know what they're else? just too good I feel still. like is underrated. Everyone's talking about the Canucks and tanking and Connor Bedard and all that. If you finish with the third worst record in the NHL, I think you have like a 9.5% chance of winning first overall, of getting the lottery ball for Bedard. And if you finish 11th worst, 
you have like a three and a half percent chance. It's like nine to three. Like the chance is the same didn't, within a percent. Didn't Gary Bettman talk about that uh, the other day when he yeah, insinuated wow. that nobody tanks? Which, you know, if you ever want people to think you're an did, honest person, don't say that. Did he? Did he get that? <laughs> did he get that one from one of his focus groups that he does? <laughs> yeah, we pulled we're, the fans and we, we found they lo- out they love the the board glitchy ads. board ads and you know they love hockey no and it, they love it in Arizona where they can't sell out a game in a five thousand seat state uh, rank. Yeah, I heard some things. It's like when people ask me, "Are you superstitious?" and I say, "No," but why take any chances? <laughs> yeah. I'm not superstitious, but let me just rub my belly and tap that's, my head three that's times. That's what tanking's every show starts. all about. Yeah. It's like, like I'm a I'm a competitive guy. You want to give me one percent more chance? I'll take it. Yeah, no, I get that. But <laughs> don't you think the good gleaned from like starting to win and guys learning the system and feeling like there's a strong core to build on, like that's more important than one percent? Well, don't you think that? Um, yeah, I'm just going back to what Batman said because I think it's so absurd, and I want to dive into it. Does he, he's, he means probably the players. That no one's tanking. That's no one's tanking. No, he's talking about coaches and owners and, yeah. He can't the, be talking the, about general managers, can he? He's talking about everybody. Well, that's is. insane. He has to make that claim. Yes, to, he to, does. So the league looks like it has integrity. There was an NHL team and... that traded for Peter Mrazek. <laughs> I love that that's the example you use. <laughs> Not that other teams have traded good players willingly for nothing, essentially, they, trying to lose. Didn't Peter Mrazek give up six goals and eight shots at one point this year? Sounds I saw right. somewhere that he's let in like 68 goals and 15 starts or something. Like it's. <laughs> and JB, you, you nailed it. If there was, uh, if there wasn't so many gambling partnerships, I don't think Gary would even comment on you it. have to say everyone's trying to win every night or else your league doesn't have the well, ability to be a gambled-upon league. That's the boring and correct answer. The gambling one. It is. That's why he said Certainly it. a part of it. No, I think it's the whole I, thing. You know what makes me a little unwell is the willingness of, like, knowing you're saying something people do, don't believe because you're a lawyer and that's the thing that drives your business best. Like, that makes me a little sick. Like, he knows that we know that that's not the truth, but he's like, we agree to be in on this lie together, which we obviously don't. <laughs> but like, no, it's true. I just hate that. It's gross. And it's almost, it's like, you know, the salary cap thing. That's not great for fans, but it works, you know, for, it works for the, the owners, people that employ them. Owners. That yeah. employ them. So same thing. Calling spades out here, boys. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some teams that, you know, are, Still finding ways, and I, I do believe that on some nights you can you can beat anybody. Still, you Arizona, can 100%. all of them. But you just can't make the playoffs. That's that's what you can't do. Right? Like you said, the Rangers have lost eight games to non-playoff teams. The Leafs have lost to Montreal twice. Arizona's, you know, who's messing up Arizona? Jacob Chikrin. He's playing well, and he's making them not as awful as they need to be. He's really helping uh, them. They need to trade him. He's too good. Yeah, he's having a good year. If they don't get what they want, I think they're going to keep him. Because he's good and young, and that's good to have in your team. We were talk- we've been talking about how the Oilers are underachieving, and now they're getting super hot, and they're into the – are they into the third place in the Pacific yet? I think they're still in a wild card they're, spot they are. behind they're one, Seattle, they're, L.A. They're two points Vegas. back of Seattle now for the last uh, – for the And three points out of second and four points out of first. To me – if you're Kenny Holland, you got to blow him away. 
and get chicken. Oh, I love that. I love that for them. Yeah, right? I would agree. Like it's it's just it seems like such a perfect fit. And for Joel them. Edmondson. Wow. Ooh. Edmonton, by the way, their next eight games, Columbus, Chicago, Philly, Ottawa, Detroit. Gets better. Get, like, it's soft. Soft schedule. They've won six in a row. Kane is back and always missing one game. But, like, I just bet on them today to win the Pacific Division. I think they're a better team than Vegas, Seattle, L.A. Calgary, too. Here they come. Zach Hyman, superstar. Interesting uh, story. Ethan Bear missing a game yeah. because his dog died. Yep. And, you know, this is one of those stories where, you know, you could see some people, I don't know if it's drawing a line to say, okay, where does it begin or end? And, you know, Mark Spector has a, a really nice piece out on uh, sportsnet.ca. If you get a chance to, to, to read it, uh, it makes some excellent points on where we are as a society now, mm-hmm. whereas something like that years ago would just been unheard of and you grew up with a dad who you know you just spoke moments ago about al arbor about yeah. just shut up and do what you're told Kelly and Rudy just told the story about not being able to go to the birth of his i think his daughter you know because of, of al arbor yeah like it just wasn't a thing you did then yeah so yeah I, it is all it's related to what we talked to recce about how things have changed yeah. um now does that just fall into I mean, when we talk about, uh, again, just society in general, there is a, a, a certain professional respect on mental health, and, yeah. and, and that's all a great thing. But as an entertainer or a professional athlete, is there more pressure than, say, someone that just goes to work in general when, mm. when, when someone's spending $300 on a ticket to go watch you perform? yeah. So today is, you know, I'm aware today is Mental Health Awareness Day for that company co-opted Let's Talk Day, which is great um, that we do that for mental health. And for Bear, it could be a combination of things. I know his fiance is getting ready, ready to give birth to their first kid. Yeah. I know uh, he was close to Gino Ojek recently passed, his dog passed. It's a lot. So if it's a mental health thing for him, for sure, you know, you, as a team, you just go, yeah, whatever you need. We need you to be well. You know, on its own, isolated, you know, part of it for me is that hockey is a physical sport and we physically do. There is a war element where you go to battle for your teammates. You dive in front of pucks, you know, block shots. You sacrifice yourself. Someone, you know, scrap in a corner. You go get in a you fight. You get in for literal a, fights. You get in literal fights on the ice. Yes. And so there's this like team element of like, you know, being there for one another. And I think when a guy, you know, it's got to be something serious to to miss the game. And so, yeah, the conversation then is just, you know, what. You know, there's bereavement clauses for for humans. You know, is is there is it okay when it's a dog? And how you know, I, I just, it's a tough one to talk about because you don't want to be insensitive to Bear and what he's going through because I don't know what he's yeah. going through. But if one of my teammates said, "My dog died, I can't play tonight," I'd be like, "Okay, I get it." Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. And it's middle of January, and. I'm not even going to say the pun, but you said it earlier. <laughs> wow. Right? Yes, it is. It is the, the cat days of Yeah, the cat the days of the season. Yes. And it's a little easier for that to, to be looked point. upon. Totally agree. But let's go to a conference final or a Stanley Cup final, and perhaps he's 
emotionally wrecked? Will we have the same sympathy for him in May or June mm-hmm. when everything's on the line as we would probably January? Not, but probably he he probably would play. Like I look that Spectre article is good. He talked about Ryan He probably would play. You're Ryan, right. Ryan Nugent he, Hopkins had a dog die between game four and five last year yeah. and played. And Spectre made the point. He didn't play great. Could be related. You know, if it's going to affect the guy, do you want him in? I would say yes. You'd rather take a chance on getting 70 or 80% out of him than nothing. Yeah. But that's, and if you that say it be, doesn't that matter. That would be a selfish part of uh, a coaching staff, a managerial staff, a season ticket holder. Yeah. There'd be a tremendous amount of pressure for him to go. Yeah. And if you say it doesn't matter, oh, he's the 6D, it's game, whatever. Well, he's paid two point two million dollars, and I think if if you're saying yeah. to him, if he if you're saying he doesn't matter, you got bigger problems. Uh, the team believes he matters. He does matter. He's an important piece of you know to them. They've got him there for a reason. So it is. It's it's, it's, it's yeah. It's if it is mental health, you fully understand. If it's yeah. grief, you fully understand. You know, people go through a lot of things, and we can't cast judgment on that. If if it's just like I'm feeling sad because my dog died, that's but it's a hard, also really unrealistic to think that like. No one's casting judgment, right? No, I know. That's what, that's what people do still. Yes. And they just have to do it a lot more quietly. I just think there's a tactful way, and maybe I've failed here today, but to have a conversation about what's too much. You know, like my cat died last year during our, our season, and I did our show. I was very sad. Yeah. You know, but that is not to say that it's the same as what he's feeling in his grief and trying to sort through that is I know. what we're discussing. But individually, you could look there and say, okay, it's just it's one guy. What happens if four guys show up and their dog dies the same day? Do four guys wow. not show up for work? I, where is it? Where is the line? Right. Right. And listen, I've had a dog for 12 years. Ours has diabetes. I'm giving it insulin shots 730 you in the morning. You have Wilford Brimley as a dog? I have insulin shots at 730 at night. Do you really? I cannot... I cannot like go like 15 minutes late. My wife will kill me. This guy. What's your dog's name, Kipper? Tucker. Tucker? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Great, great handle. The mother Tucker. <laughs> As I refer to him. You know, E from Entourage, his dog's name is Gillies. What I'm know? telling that's you, great. this guy is like family. Like he's, he's my, yeah. uh, he's. He would be crushed. Same, I'm same, like, I got, same I got rid of three kids. Yeah. And he's got Louie, the uh, his, dog, little wiener dog. Yeah. Love him to death. I got. I, I sent three kids to school, and now I got like a, an infant named Tucker at home. <laughs> but he's family. I, mean, I get it. Yes, I get that emotional attachment. Yeah, for I, sure. I actually get like there's there'll be moments where I like, God forbid, picture the day that Lou Dog croaks, <laughs> and I'm like, oh Jesus! Like, like <laughs> I get it. It does. For sure, it does. It's heavy. The thought goes through your mind. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. What the hell am I gonna do? Would you come to work? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I would. You got a dog? Uh, I have had dogs. I do not currently have a dog. We no, had, no cat? Both cats died within a week last year. Oh, my God. Because one got sad with the other one gone. Boring. Like that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, it was oh, awful. That happens to old awful. people a lot, too. Yes. It was awful. My oh. poor kids. Terrible. Anyway. Do you guys want some, uh, you guys have some, some stats? Are we tonight? done with death? Yes. <laughs> you, guys okay. want, you, want, you want some stats from tonight? Okay. Sure. All right. <laughs> Save, <laughs> Save us. <laughs> Play get, a yakety sack. Get some life in this show, would you? <laughs> um, I'm just looking up uh, tonight's stat pack. Willie Nylander, I wanted to find some stats. How is he against the Rangers? I don't have that in front of me. 
but I'm looking for... Now nah, I've lost it. This, this is perfect music for me right now. I had it in front of me and I wanted to ask you a question. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, among players with a cap hit below $7 million this year, Willie Nylander's 56 points are tied for the fourth most in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Would you guys like to hazard a guess at the other... At the other uh, Under... Seven, Seven million. Yes. More equal to or just more than 56 points, sorry? Um, it is. Yet there's four guys, three guys with more and one guy who's tied with him. Okay. And they, had this they're all under seven. With Sam. So I have some idea. Kipper, do you know? Do you uh, know? I said Pasternak. Good one. Number yeah. one. He's making 6.6 and he has 69 points so far this year. Nice. <laughs> He's going to um, double that. I don't know. I uh, can't think. There is Give me some, two uh, Edmonton Oilers on the list. Oh, Nuge. Yeah, yep. good Nuge. one. Yeah. He's having a terrific year. Some more points than Willie by one. Yeah. He's having a really good year. He's got 57 points. Um, He's making 5.125 million. Oh, and your favorite player, to Lemieux. Miss. Tage Lemieux. Tage Make, Lemieux. Talk about value. Well, he's, his new contract kicks in next uh, season. Next season. And he's, it's um, a steal right now for Kevin Adams. Well, it's a steal. It's. Whatever next year is, this year is the ultimate. So he's making one point four million dollars. Got sixty six points. <laughs> Talk about value, value. And where's uh, Hyman? Yeah, he's tied with one. Willie. He is tied with Willie. He's got fifty six points, fellas. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I got. Good an- I got another quiz for you. You ready? This is great. William Nylander looks to become the sixth player from the twenty 24- four. Like you read that earlier, for the twenty fourteen draft to reach four hundred career points. He was selected eighth overall by the Leafs in that draft. Can you name any of the other players that have 400 points in that draft? This is like got to be the thing I'm worst at. Was Miko Rantanen in there? Nope. A different year? That was Marner's year. I don't I, I, I don't, I don't even so remember that year. I'm so bad at draft years, like things. Okay, so, Who went first overall? Uh, that actually helped me with the who's in the draft. Leon Dreisaitl went third overall. It's right. the Aaron Ekblad draft. Yeah. The what, sorry? Ekblad draft? Does Ekblad have that many points? Nope. Nope. I'm Which, stumped. I can't yes. even think. I'll read them to you. Yeah, so happen. Leon Dreisettle has the most points from that draft yeah. with 689 points. Pasternak, second. He was the 25th draft uh, round. Uh, he was the 25th overall pick. 25. Braden Point is third with 417, and he was the 79th pick. 79 picks went by, and they're like, nah, I'll pass. <laughs> well, they, was thought, they thought he couldn't skate, eh? Is that it? Yeah. Really? yeah, that was the yeah, knock. Thought, I gotta yeah, tell you, these are lies. Retro scout I is the easiest thing. I, I, yeah, I think some had issues with his skating. Wow, he skates pretty. Gets around there pretty good out there to me. Sam Reinhart, who was taken second overall, has 415 points, which surprises me that he's that high. I, too. I, I think they've been very quiet. Can mm-hmm. I just say, uh, you know, I, I'm just never been a big Reinhardt guy. He's fine. I hate the way he wears his skates. I think that's what it is for me. It's a gear thing. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. I hate it. I just always see him as a secondary guy. Yeah. Which right? is fine. Yeah. But when you're that high of a pick. You're hoping for a little more. Yeah. Yeah. And Dylan Larkin uh, has exactly 400 points. And then Willie at 399 next. Pretty good draft. Really good. Wow. Yeah. A lot of good players. Coming and... Around. A lot of those names up for new contracts. Yeah, Dylan Larkin. Larkin, uh, we know, is a local kid in uh, Detroit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stevie, I'm not sure he wants to give up the, the cash just yet towards him. Yeah, it's interesting. 
You know, I do get playing hardball with Larkin because there is this thing where it's like he's from here and he's been good. The only guy who's been the trooper through our lean years, you know? Yeah. You know, but you don't want to back pay someone when you're trying to move forward. You like to pay him for what you expect him to be worth, right? You you don't have to go that far when it comes to Steve Eiserman trying to lock down a star. Is it Stamkos? Yes. And did pretty damn well. But it. Steve had to take him right to the point where Stamkos is meeting the Toronto Maple Leafs before he came back. Right. Yeah, they had to bring in the Canadian tire guy to ruin everything, right? That's almost Stamkos. You know, Iserman calling his bluff, though. Let that happen, Kipper? What did what happen? The Stamkos with the Canadian tire guy was the mayor there. Is that true? Uh, There was a sense that uh, the Leafs wanted to... uh, Explore Stamkos, knowing that they wanted to keep the cap number down, and the thought was that they were going to kind of make it up corporately, and, and showing him that, other ways that they. But can that's got to be some sort of circumvention, right? Uh, that's an interesting point because you know, if you're uh, like hey, Canadian Tire, uh, give this how, guy two uh, million a year, we'll, listen, we'll give it to it, you. And- if I'm not mistaken, uh, Connor McDavid has a, a deal with uh, Rogers. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he does. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that nine, no one, no one's MGM, but but no one's calling that circumvention. Right. I guess his little chicken and egg sort of thing here. Like if you say, "Come, you're a star, and this is a major market. We might have some good sponsorship opportunities for you." How express can you make that sort of commitment to someone? You know, if you're able to raise a lot of money yeah. for them, and then can you say to Canadian yeah. Tire, "Hey, you don't have to pay for your board ads this year"? No. Uh- <laughs> Just get you know. Just I don't think stammer. I don't think for a second that the Leafs were prepared at that time to offer Sam Coast like ten or eleven million dollars. What do you and end up with? Eight, five, eight, eight and a half, if eight, I'm five. not mistaken. <laughs> Sammy, what's the cap friendly on Sam Coast who scored his five hundredth goal last week? Eight point five yeah. for this year and next. Then he's a free agent. Yeah. You know who else makes eight point five? Drysidle. They're nice contracts. Yeah, Braden Point makes nine point five. It's a great contract. And then they turned around. Same I think a year a year later and gave Tavares eleven. Sounds right. No, it was, wasn't the next two years. Two, two years. years. Yeah. So okay. two years. I was convinced, convinced that Stamkos was going to be a Leaf. Convinced. Well, as you should have been. I, it was happening, right? He was. Things were falling apart in Tampa. He was coming up here. Yeah. And then Kipper, did you? That I remember the, the, that day he signed. And then the Subban. Oh, and Taylor and Hall. We- yeah. Subban and Weber and Taylor Hall was all one day, wasn't it? When didn't you break one it was of those? like one hour. I did. I broke the, uh, yeah, the, the PK Subban uh, for uh, Shea Weber. Yeah. You know what's funny about that? Tell me. I, that was the first ever show that J.D. Bunk has hosted on this station. Really? And that happened t- like 15 minutes before that show. It's a pretty good show that, to that, launch. That he, it's tough, and though. And I, I booked Kipper. On the show. No way. And I texted him. He didn't know the hell I was at that point, but I texted him and he came on the show with J.D. Bunkus on his first ever. I'm sure if you wanted to ever torture Mr. Bunkus, you could play that back for him. But yeah, it's a funny little... I was at a Muskoka ser- cottage and, and I'm I texting had horrible reception. You Were you shoveling snow up there, like uh, <laughs> eating a hot dog on the... It was July. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Or no, yeah, a week before the training camp, uh, yeah. or not, uh, free agency. It was just before because PK Subban's contract kicked in. I think at, uh, 
a no move uh, going in. Yeah. So it all had to happen right? all and at they that had moment. To, they had to trade him before, I think, uh, July 1st. You know, if you're bunk, like your first show, it's you got plans. You've been planning. Oh, we had it like locked down. You know, to, like, you're the, not you're not ready minute. to be nimble. No, at that, that was crazy. Um, one, I, one more note on Stamp Coast going down there and making eight and a half, which like is still equivalent to ten and a half here. Yeah, I think you're right, right on that. Eleven maybe. Just gross. Right so, now. I, you know, not to sound like a like Sammy and all his Leaf Nationers here, but there's a huge advantage for Tampa Bay with no state tax yeah. and cost of living and running as if they've got a $100 million salary cap. I think they should index the salary cap based on income tax in the state. You should say we're a zero income tax state, so you guys are more attractive for people. You know, you play in Montreal, you get a higher cap than everyone else. Here's here's a great what if with four minutes left in the station. Would the Leafs have been better off signing Stamkos and not Tavares? Would they be? Would they have gone deeper now than they have? They would have two and a half more million if he'd signed for eight point five. <laughs> but the, I, Tavares I would, is a if, center. If you're asking me, yeah, would I? Would I rather have today Steven Stamkos well, today, and yes. John Tavares? Yes. yes, I would. Tavares has had some pretty good years here. Yeah, yes, no you doubt. Know? Would you trade right now Tavares for Stamkos? Yes. You, Sammy? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay, so we're all <laughs> but, in agreement. You know, given, but contracts are a part of that. You know, if I had to have Stamkos for $11 million or Tavares at 8.5, I think I want Tavares. So it, money's involved in that decision for me. I would want Tavares Stamkos's contract as much. Yeah, as that makes sense because yeah. that's a <laughs> you're talking about almost a, a top four defenseman. Big swing, right? Yeah, for a capped up team. So that's not the trade I asked you for. I know I true, twisted hey, it. True or false? The Maple Leafs have not been shut out this season, and they were not shut out all of last season. True or false? False. True. True. They have the longest active streak yeah. of consecutive games without being shut out. 111 games, and next closest is 57. Going against Shesterkin wow. tonight. Oh, boy, you did it. You jinxed it. I think I might end their streak. Incredible. Night. I don't know. We had uh, Valley on. Says he lets up a stinker every That's game. That's right. Yeah. So there you go. No shutout. Okay. Me and Borny both bet on Morgan Riley to score a goal tonight. We did. And I'm going to bet Morgan Riley to score a goal until it pays me. There's 34 <laughs> games left. That might cost me $340. Like I, I am not. I don't gamble. Okay. Uh, so For free, it, you do on the Next Rewards app. I do, yes. Which Kipper owns, of course. <laughs> yes. Yes. And NHL hockey's coming. Yes. Oh, is it? Yeah. Nice. So download it. Use my code KIPPER19, mm-hmm. and I'll give you 250 points towards Ooh. your free cup of coffee. Damn near there already. So... I can you go on a, a website and yep. just put down five dollars for Morgan Riley to score. It's that simple. Yep, plus six hundred. I bet ten dollars on it. That would pay me sixty dollars if he scores tonight. If he scores, yeah. Or you lose ten, and I'm going to lose ten tonight and tomorrow night and the next <laughs> night and every night until he scores. <laughs> Do you want to just give me ten dollars every day? I'm fine with that too. That's awesome. I'm excited for tonight. It's gonna like be a good when game. I go, when good I go game. to the racetrack and the teller gives me my ticket already ripped up. <laughs> just so you don't need this. Yeah. Off track betting. Fun time. <laughs> so looking at the weather at the window, window Kipper, yeah. are you going to the game? Tonight? I am, yeah. Atta boy. It's you Rangers leaves. It's two-year the, alumni. The you got to go. The New York Rangers have uh, uh, got a suite for all ex 
Rangers. You're going as a Ranger tonight? In the area. We've really betrayed yeah. the show. I went as an Islander one night, and you're going as a Ranger tonight. We really messed up. So we'll wear leaf hats in the show. Can you divulge who's going or no? Uh, I think in the area, we've got Adam Graves, uh, Glenn Healy. Uh, um, Gartner? Mike Gartner. Maybe. And again, the weather's bad here, so yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to see some of my buddies. Uh, I hope people are safe on the road regardless, and uh, uh, everybody comes and goes as safely as possible. Yeah, it's greasy out there. Everybody, if you're listening, drive safely, please. Austin you. Matthews, first 22 games, boys. He had uh, 21 points. Last 24 games, 32 points. Is, is he going to heat up now? Oh, yeah. We're, we're rolling now. His goals per game is way up. Points per game up from 0.95 okay, boys, to 1.3. Okay, boys, let me hear it. Prediction time. I'm going to say a 3-2 Toronto Maple Leafs win. That was the exact score I had in my head. With a Morgan Riley game me, win. Okay. Give me the empty netter just so I'm different. 4-2. I'll go Rangers 3-2 then just to balance it out. All right. Looking forward to chatting. Really looking forward to this game tonight. Hey. Big, fast, strong team like the Rangers. Huge challenge for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Quick, quick before we go. Yeah. Tomorrow, Barry Trotz on the show, if you're looking forward to that. Oh, Barry Trotz. Wow. And tune into Leafs Talk after the game tonight. And if you're in the golf mood, little Patrick Reed versus Roy McIlroy, me and Gunning recorded a golf show pod today. Find golf it on guys. iTunes. Our Great thanks show. to Steve Valaket, Kristen Shilton from ESPN, and Mark Recchi, Stanley Cup champion and uh, Hall of Famer. Enjoy your night. Stay safe, everybody. And we're back tomorrow. Real Kipper and Born. Thanks for joining us. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.